I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Frost, and my guest today is Burton Westbrook. He is the Budweiser Clydesdale handler. He's based at the New Hampshire Training Center and has been training, driving, and looking after these horses for over 37 years. Now, you may have seen some of the gorgeous Clydesdales from the Budweiser commercials, including the baby foal who can't wait to grow up and be part of the team hitch. Well, Burton's here to share his story and the story of the Budweiser Clydesdales. This is Horse Hour. Now, for those of you that listen to the podcast on a regular basis, you'll know I'm obsessed with the Budweiser Clydesdales. I can't get enough of them. And recently we went to the National Equine Forum where we found out that the Clydesdales in the UK are now listed as a rare breed. So they're declining. So who other than the god of the Clydesdales do we have on today? His name is Burton Westbrook and he's the handler for the Budweiser Clydesdales. How are you, Burton? Very good. Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Literally, I, I'm sick to death of the Coca-Cola truck in the UK that we see every Christmas, and I'm longing for you to bring your horses over here. Well, we've been in China, Puerto Rico, all over Canada. We uh, actually have a hitch that we don't run, but we help put together and we help with it in Russia. And like I said, we've had horses in China, so it's not impossible we do it sometime. So far, the reason we haven't done it is the size of your roads and your bridges. Oh, I know. They're awful. We cannot run our trucks on your roads and bridges. Well, how about we just bring you into port and you leave the trucks there and you just do a tour of the UK with the carriage? Uh, they get tired of that after a while. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we could find you stables to stop off at around the UK. This could be insane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I feel very lucky to talk to you today. And the, the, my, one of my favourite things that the way that the UK have known about you and heard about you is because of those gorgeous adverts that you do with your foals. Did you, mm-hmm. did, how were you involved in that? I have not been involved in any of the commercials since the early 80s. Oh, I, I'll, I'll take that back. The early, uh, right out 2000. Each hitch does commercials. Depends on what they want and where they want it done, who does it. And the last commercial that the East Coast had part of, the last commercial they did, was the 9-11 commercial where the horses bowed across the river from the Statue of Liberty. Mm. That was the last one the East Coast done. The last few years, they've done all of them either from our breeding farm in Boothville, Missouri, or out west in like, California. 
So what was the one that you were involved in? That's where the horses come up. I believe it's called Battery Park across the Hudson River in New Jersey. And at that point, you can see the Statue of Liberty. Mm. So the horses came up to the point in the park right against the river. And then they're playing all kinds of patriotic music and all that. And they're doing some voiceovers. And then the horses all bow. They get down on one, on their one front leg and bow in reference to the 9-11 plane crash. Oh, my gosh. When we filmed that commercial, it was meant to play one time and one time only. And it was meant to play on the, I don't remember if it was the first or second year anniversary of the 9-11. And, then the, and you can watch it online on the internet. But the only place we have nationally shown it is now two times. We did it the very first time right after it was finished. And then we did it on the 10th year anniversary. We played it again on TV. Wow. So we spent quite a bit of money just to show it twice. Mm. You know, who needs the TV now when you've got the internet and everybody have millions of viewers watching it? I mean, what a what an incredibly powerful piece. And, and how lovely to be involved in that and have your beauties included. Because have you been a handler, what is it, 37 years you've been a handler for? At the end of the next month, I'll finish 37 years, yes. Congratulations. So what... what I mean, that's just a, an insane achievement. One, that you can stay in the in the horse industry for that amount of time, because we all know there's no money in the horse industry. <laughs> get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> and get paid for it. It's a bonus. So we need, yeah. to, we need to know your secrets. How did you even get into this? My parents raised draft horses, quarter horses and Arabs when I was a kid. I showed quarter horses and Arabs. We all helped get the draft horses ready for the shows. But when they went to their shows, I went to my shows. So I've never really shown the draft horses while I was at home with, with my parents. I did a lot with them at home. And then uh, I was going to be a quarter horse trainer. In my head, that's how it was going to be. Mm. Didn't work out that way. <laughs> so what was the, the, the next step then? How did you swap from having that as your dream to working with the Clydesdales? Well, I actually had a quarter horse job in Southern Virginia. And uh, what I didn't know, the guy that hired me, knew when he hired me, he wasn't going to stay. So within a week of me getting to my new job, there wasn't, the manager wasn't there. The guy I went there to learn reining and cutting from, the day I showed up for work, he was loading his trailer to move. Oh my so goodness. I wound up staying there five or six months, just working with babies and feeding horses and cleaning stalls. And then I thought, okay, time to get out of here. <laughs> and my dad knew of somebody who had a draft horse job. And he actually said, I know you don't want a draft horse job, but this is available. Okay, we'll go with it. So I worked with Belgians for two or three months. And at that point, an opening at the Clydesdale Breeding Farm in St. Louis came up. And so I went to work for Barry Farrell, who is the manager of the Clydesdale Breeding Farm for between 30 and 40 years. And uh, I worked for him for two and a half years before I actually, and that's working directly for the Bush family. And after two and a half years, I went to Anheuser-Busch Corporate and started traveling with our East Coast Hitch. So the the Bush family is in President Bush? No. Aug okay. Aug I Budweiser Bush. Budweiser Bush, okay. August A. Bush Jr. And then... Ah, oh, so they own... I didn't know this. I didn't know who owned Budweiser. Well, at, by that point, they didn't own it, but they had controlling interest. Mm. And so they ran the company. By the time I got there, it was August the 3rd that was running the company. But I worked for his dad, August Bush Jr., at the breeding farm. And we did all the breeding, the foaling, the training, the breaking, 
everything with them before they went out to the different hitches. Wow. We had two hitches, and then in September of 79, we started our third hitch on the West Coast. And um, where were the other two hitches? St. Louis, Missouri, Merrimack, New Hampshire, where I work from. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it was at that point, it was Hemet, California. It has since moved to Colorado now, where our West Coast Hitch is based out of. And so when you talk about a hitch, from what I understand of the history of the Budweiser Clydesdales, is they used to pull the, the carts that delivered the beer around the towns. Is that true? Yeah, they did. They used draft horses to pull all their wagons around St. Louis and the, and the uh, surrounding areas. Because at that point, they, had, they started with pasteurization, but they really couldn't take it very far because it had to stay cold. They could started using rail cars to move it further out, but they had to have ice stations throughout the, the rail system so they could re-ice the beer and keep it cold until it was delivered. By the time Prohibition came around, by the time it ended, April 7th, 1933, the uh, Bush family have stopped using horses and were using trucks. So the day they rebuilt Prohibition, August Bush Jr. asked Senior to come around the corner because he bought him a new car and wanted to see it. Well, Senior was getting all over Junior because the first day they could make money, and here he's out buying a car and spending it frivolously. And when Junior <laughs> walked around the corner, there was a hitch of Clydesdales there because that was his dad's favorite horses. <gasps> that was a present to his dad. And beginning that day, they became kind of the corporate, uh, iconic corporate symbol. Mm-hmm. They actually shipped those horses to the governor of New York, who was instrumental in the repeal of prohibition. Right the next week and the week after that, they went to Washington, D.C. to wow. celebrate the repeal of Prohibition. And we've been using them ever since. And and now you use them, you don't use them to deliver beer anymore because we've got the big trucks and, you know, trains and things. Correct. <laughs> Not per se. We do that as a uh, promotion. We have what we call home deliveries. Before we get into an area, somebody buys cases of beer and they put a coupon in a in a bowl. The local Budweiser distributor picks out somebody's name. And then when we, and this doesn't happen every time in every place we go, but it does quite a bit. They pick out a name and we actually deliver a case of beer to somebody's house. With the horses? With the horses. Oh, I want my name in that hat, Burton. (laughs) We'll hook up, we'll hitch the horses anywhere from a few blocks to a half a mile away, say in a shopping center or in a park or something. And then we come driving right up to your horse with the horses clapping and the music blaring. And they've been told it was going to happen. So they've got their family and their friends all there and they make a party out of it. What an amazing job to have. And what an amazing job for the horses to have as well. Because I bet they just have the the life of Riley. They must be treated like royalty with you. They are, but they're still horses. We run them. They don't run us. But they do live very well. As it's usually said, they're some of the best well-kept horses in the United States. Or in the world, probably. But at the same time, you know, we have, we're doing our promotions and we're advertising Budweiser beer. But we, the thing that we always keep in the foremost of our mind, they're still horses. Hmm. They'll have to be cared for. And we do everything with them to take care of them because we're on the road 10 months out of the year. And if we don't take care of them, they're not going to last. So we hitch eight, but we carry 10. That way, if we have a sick or sore, we're covered. And if we don't have sick or sore, we leave a different horse off each, or two different horses off each day, so they get days off. Because, like I say, if we don't take care of them, they're not going to last. Just like mm. day off, they get a day off also. So I'm guessing they have winter off, which is quite nice. Not so much winter. We go into mid-December, 
And from mid-December until the 10th or 15th of January, we may have one show that we truck out for from New Hampshire at our home base. But other than that, we're on the road most of the time. We go back to our home base anywhere from a few days to a week, three or four times a year. So where do you stay when you're on the road? What, what's, your, what's your day like? Uh, we, if we don't have an early show, we get to work at 7 in the morning. And then we clean the stalls. And then we have to groom the horses and wash the legs to get ready for that day's show. And then we have to go out and clean the wagon up and get the harness ready. It takes five hours to get ready for each show. It doesn't matter if you do one show a day or two show a day. It takes five hours to get ready for it because we have to clean everything up. Because when you think about it, it needs to look the same for the second show as it did the first show. We really try not to do two shows a day because that's hard (laughs) and us. Clean all the harness again. You have to wash the horses again. And then we go, we truck to the show. We get them braided in the manes and tails. We load them. If it's very far at all, we truck them to the show. We take them out and get them prepped and dusted off and cleaned up and brushed out. Put the harness on them, hook them to the wagon. From the time we get them hooked to the wagon, the shows are usually about two hours long. Then we come back, spend another hour taking them all down, go back to the barn, clean them all up. We don't wash them, but we have to groom them and make sure that they haven't got sweat on them and get them ready to go to bed. We usually start the harness a little bit that night, come back the next morning, start it all again. So where are these shows? What, what sort of things are you doing? We do parades. We do grand openings. We'll, uh, do, we do a lot of festivals. A city will have a some kind of annual festival or their 100th year anniversary. Or Sometimes we do it for the actual Budweiser distributorship is either 25 or 50 or 100 years old. And we'll go in and it's all prearranged. We'll do different, we'll have different things set up that we'll do. It's set up with our office, the yay or nay things that we will and, will and won't and can't and can do. But at the same time, we'll usually go to a certain area for what we call a marquee event. And then we build shows around that so that more people see them than just at the marquee event. So we usually pull in on Monday. We do all our prepping on Tuesday. All that prepping means we do the body washing. We do the clipping. We do the scrubbing. Everything that we don't have time to do through the week. We have to do, say, on Tuesday. Hmm. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're doing all these shows. Like I say, they can, they can, we've done things like a cauliflower festival. Out in California, they have a lot of products that they grow. And each product has their own festival, evidently. So we go to a lot of festivals. We do, we'll do uh, like Greek festivals. We'll do German festivals. We'll do like grand openings of a Walmart. Walmart is actually, you don't really think about it. I, I presume you have Walmarts over in the UK. Yeah, yeah, Walmart is Asda over in the UK. Walmart is the largest distributor of Budweiser beer in the United States. You don't wow. think about it, but they are. So we actually do a lot of shows in their parking lots. And when I say that, we just go and we hook up and we drive around. We do not let people pet the horses while they're in harness because they'd have to get too close. But they can take they can stand beside them and they take pictures. I have so many questions. The first question is: When you're away from home, mm-hmm. um, and and you're traveling and you're going to these different cities and these different events, is there a huge team of you? And um, and where where do you set up base? There's seven of us that travel. There's usually one on vacation and one on day off each week. So that means five people work. Should there happen to not be somebody on vacation, then six work. Our office sets up stabling and hotels ahead of time. We have some, and because we travel all over, it may be we go from where we're going to where we're going to the next place is one day. But there's lots of times it could take two or three days to get there mm. on what we call a jump. 
So our office finds places. We have binders and binders of places where we can show out of and or just overnight. Some people will kick their horses out of their own barn for one night, but not a whole week. And other people will say, well, I'll kick them out for a whole week, but not one day. So <laughs> we do both or there's places we can do one or the other. And so we always, we already have these places set up ahead of time. And like I said, we're one step above Cardi's. We don't travel at night. We don't sleep under the trucks. We don't throw bolts over our shoulders when we're putting things together when we're done. <laughs> it sounds like an, a, a, quite an incredible life, but are you married? Where's, where's your other half in all this? I am. Uh, I've been there long enough. I get six weeks a year vacation. Plus, whenever we're at our home base, if we have extra time, which sometimes we do, we can take time off there. Um, and then we're actually in Florida quite a bit in our in our winter runs. And so we get to see each other more than you would think. But oh, she can't jump in the truck with you and sneak in, you know, sneak in the horse stall for a little bit. Years ago, yes, that could happen. But now, <laughs> with all the rules and regulations and policies, uh, no, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, okay, uh, a whole bunch of questions for you, Burton. Um, you, you were mentioning earlier about the grooming. Mm -hmm. So we've been asking of our star followers if they have any questions for you. And the two biggest questions were, one, how on earth do you get their feathers so white and, and keep them so pristine? The feathers stay so white because, are you familiar with the term elbow grease? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we use the hottest water. We carry our own hot water tank with us that makes hot water so we usually have water that's about between 120 and 140 degrees that we're washing the horses with their legs and we use i don't know if you're familiar with it it's a brand over here called mane and tail shampoo and conditioner mm -hmm. okay we use that that's our core product and then we uh put some bluing every few days we put some bluing in the water to make them whiter and we use castile soap every time and we scrub and scrub and scrub. And that hot water doesn't burn the horse's feet? Doesn't no. burn the horse's legs? No, not, not, the, the water itself that we're washing them with is that temperature. The water we rinse them with is usually down about 110, 115. So because the hotter the water, then the more likely you're going to get the stains out. Granted, our horses aren't turned out for five months at a time without being washed. So their legs haven't got the big stains on them that you're used to seeing when you drive down the road and you look at a pasture and you say, I think that's supposed to be white legs, but I can't tell. <laughs> even when our horses are at home in our home base in Merrimack, New Hampshire, they still get, even when they're not getting used, uh, if they happen to be off for a few months just for turnout for an R&R, &R, they still get their legs washed two or three days a week for that exact purpose. So I thought there might be some hair dye involved, you know, a little bit of uh, purple purple dye. <laughs> no, the white on their legs is true. We have our own breeding farm. We have the largest class of breeding farm in the continental or in North America, and we breed for the color we want. Most people think Clydesdales only come in the color that we have. Actually, Clydesdales come in six different colors. No way! I didn't know this. Well, we're very good at making you think not. <laughs> <laughs> all of our horses are the same color because that's the only because there's so much white on them because obviously they're four white legs white face and black mane and tail with the bay collar because of the amount of white and the amount of black every once in a while god plays a trick on us <laughs> not with big white splotches or a dark leg 
Well, we don't use the big white splotches and we don't use the, the dark legs. So if we have colts or fillies that come out like that, if, if, a, if a stud colt comes out like that, then we'll just use those for trading. We'll take them to a national sale or we'll trade them. Sometimes somebody else has a, a good colored horse and say, we may trade two of those off coloreds for one good colored horse. Mm. If other people can't afford to be picky on color. We can yeah, they come out splotted or with a dark leg. If they're good enough quality, we can't keep everything. But if they're good enough quality, we'll keep them and we'll breed them for a year or two. Those splotchy legs and then big white spots may throw perfect colored babies, but then again, they might not. So, <laughs> a chance to throw good colored babies before we get rid of them. So, how many horses do you have, Burton? At this time, at any given time, we have between 150 and 200 horses around the country. Wow. Each of our three hitches travel with 10. Each of the home bases have anywhere from four or five or six at their home base. My home base in New Hampshire happens to be our training center. So we have our extra horses there for the road. Plus, we also have geldings at home that do nothing but just teach the colts that we use for driver training. Mm. So we have about 25 horses up there. And then the remainder of all those horses are either going to be at Grant's Farm which is a holding place. They could leave They leave the breeding farm in Boonville, Missouri at about a year old. And they go to Grant's Farm, which was where the original breeding farm was in St. Louis, downtown St. Louis, Missouri. At that point, they're already broke to tie and lead, and that's it. They've got so many horses and so much to do at the breeding farm, they haven't got time to really humanize the colts. So at that point, they go to Grant's Farm, they get taught to bathe, clip, handle their feet, uh, stand to be braided and they'll do some very light they'll, like they'll put a bidding rig on them just to start teaching them to round up but then at three years old then they go to our training center in new hampshire and what sections of that training the early stages are you involved in because you would back in and you'd bring on foals in your early days i did in the early days but since since i left the breeding farm that i don't do that because you got sensible and realized it was too dangerous <laughs> And you're safe with uh, traveling with them. Just older and I break easier and I don't heal as fast. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the early 80s and 90s, each of our hitching operations broke their own colts. They did some at the breeding farm, but some of the actual hitch operations broke their own. And then right at the early 90s, we started breaking them at the breeding farm again. So some of those were broke out there like that. We opened a display only center in Colorado, where we have a brewery. We have a display there. Well, they finally figured out why have old crippled up horses there just for display when we can actually use that for breaking colts. People don't care if they look at old horses or young ones. So then we turned that into our training center in Fort Collins, Colorado. And a few years ago, we actually moved that training center to New Hampshire because our West Coast hitch needed a new home base. So for the last six, seven years, our West Coast Hitch is based out of Fort Collins, Colorado, and our training center has been in Merrimack, New Hampshire, which gets very interesting in the wintertime. Yeah, I can imagine. So what happens to the retired horses? Do you do you retire them? Is there, is, have you got a special little home base for them, or do they go on to people as companion horses? Both. We do have two or three places that we have display horses, and we have places that even we... Uh, we have what we call meet and greets at some of our breweries. 
and at at whatever the home bases are. And so they'll hold the horse up, they'll braid them up and hold the horses out for petting and pictures for a couple hours every day. So a lot of the old horses go to that. And some of them, like I said, we can't afford to keep everything. Are we going to try to keep every horse in the world? No. So we do find them good homes. We have pages and pages of people who want to either buy or somehow receive one of our horses. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, for something to come in, something has to go out. So if we get a new horse in, something is going to leave. That may be a five-year-old that we just got, or it could be a 10 or 12-year-old. If they're leaving at five, six, or seven, then we'll sell them for a bunch of money. If they leave at around 10, we sell them for a little bit less of a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. If they're leaving between 12 and 15, we'd still get something for them just to make sure the people are going to take care of them. But in a nutshell, comparatively, we almost give them away knowing people's going to have money into them in short order just because of their age. And also you want them to go to a good home. So I'm presuming we, the home is the most important thing. We do. We do a lot of vetting on that. None of our horses go someplace without it being vigorously vetted beforehand. And mm-hmm. part of the process of them getting them is that they're, they sign papers that say that they will not use and abuse and try to work them to death because they've already done their tenure of working, and now they're in retirement. Mm, yeah, and they should be able to, to rest and relax. So how big are these horses? Because you're not talking something, it's not something that you can just, they can't be a happy hacker, can they, after their job? They're, they average about 2,000 pounds. Wow. We have to ride a fine line because we're in the public eye all the time. The public wants to see them all fat and roly-poly, so fat that they can hardly move, and they think that's a happy horse. Well, actually, it's not. It'd be like having mm-hmm. a fat dog that lives in the city. It's not a good thing. <laughs> so we have to keep enough weight on them to make the public happy and to make them look you know, good and fleshy. But at the same time, when what we do for a living, when we're out pounding pavement and doing shows, and our horses are just like any horse. They stand 22 hours a day. So the more weight you have on them, the more problems you're going to wind up having. So instead of having a 23 or 2400 pound horse, which we could, we try to keep ours between 19 and 2000, maybe 2100 for some of our really big horses. And what about height wise? Because did you see the world's biggest Clydesdale horse? Wasn't it like 19? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In hands. Well, there's some 19s and there's some 20s. There's a bunch of those biggest horses running around the world over here. Uh, <laughs> it depends on how they're shot and how what platform they're standing on when you're looking at them. <laughs> Average 18, our regular horses do. That being said, our wheel and body horses are usually closer to 19 for the bo- wheel horses and 18, 2 or 3 for the body horses. Because over here, the way we do, we run our hitches, you have the wagon, you have the wheel horses, what we call the body, the swing, and then the lead. And and is that based on their is that based on their size? Is that based on their experience? It's not experience at all. You can have two horses come at the same time, they know exactly the same thing. They just came from the training center. One is big, one is smaller. The smaller one will go within the front four. The big one goes within the back four. And when I say that, that means they aren't going straight into the wheel. The new big one will go into the body and the new small one will go into the swing. We don't put them right at the back or right at the front because they're always hitched by size. Biggest in the back, smallest in the front. And the reason that is we have the wagon and then we have a, a big long tongue that the wheel horses are hooked to. And then we have two swing poles. Just like you cannot back or you can't push a chain you can't back a swing pole. So mm-hmm. the only two horses that actually stop, turn, and hold the wagon are the two connected directly to the wagon. Hence, the biggest butts have to be in the back. <laughs> it makes sense. I have got to ask you, though, Burton, have there ever been any times where you've thought, oh, that was a close call for the horses? Or Especially in the, in the early years of training, when you're going out and doing all these parades, mm-hmm. horses are unpredictable. Well, it can be, and I, I'd be lying if I said we haven't had close calls. Very seldom. Knock on wood. For the amount of shows we do every year, and the amount of, and we've been doing this 85 years now, I believe. For the amount of time and the amount of shows, we've been very fortunate. But we're also very big on safety. Uh, again, with that being said, when we get, say we get two or three new colts in, we don't put them all in the hitch at the same time. We may put one new one in the back. We put one new one in the front. But we don't put four or five new horses that have just came from the training center in the hitch and say, oh, let's see what will happen. <laughs> oh, what will happen? <laughs> like I said, we've done this a long time. We learned that lesson a long time ago. <laughs> you may have a road with you, but you do not use them all at once until they get some time under their belt. Yeah. And the great thing is that you've bred these horses, so you kind of know their personalities from way before they even get to the point of, of putting them, uh, you know, of using them. We're with these horses anywhere from 8 to 15 hours a day, seven days a week. So, yeah, we, we do know them. We know the ones that no matter what you do to them or what position you put them in, they're going to be fine. There's others, you, you look at them and you look at the position and you say, well, this could be interesting. <laughs> but then at that point, we'll have somebody right beside them to help them get through whatever 
the occasion could be. How do you get them used to the noise? I, I spoke to the Metropolitan Police, the UK police, a while ago, and they, they've been great at explaining to us the desensitisation and getting them used to flags and things. Your horses go through a very similar, quite traumatic time when they're at these big events with noises and balloons and people. And When we're at home, when we're at our training centre in New Hampshire, people who come to visit, because we're open to the public, as part of the brewery tour, they can come down and see the barn and actually watch what we do. And I'm sure people think, what the heck are they doing? We'll throw beach balls at them. We'll throw oranges at them. We'll set up big wind machines. We put things on the ground for the wagon to drive over because when the wagon drives over something hard, then the tongue starts bopping around and could bounce off the horse's sides. Mm. We, run that, we run into that on the road because that's what a railroad track is. And so... We set up flags that flutter. We will actually get flags that we let loose of on windy days and let loose of them and let them flop right into the horses. But we've prepped them for that. We don't go straight to that. We've prepped <laughs> them to a point of where hopefully by the time we do that, they're good. By the time they leave our training center, the only thing we like to say, the only thing we can't do is we don't own our own F-18 jet. We don't own our own marching band. And we don't own our own motorcycle gang. <laughs> because of those, those noises, we really can't duplicate. We have some music that will send uh, baritone vibes right into their bodies. But that's still not the same thing as a marching band coming up beside them. I don't know if you ever heard about uh, Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Yes, a huge festival. It's a bit like our Notting Hill Festival in the UK, but on a much bigger, colourful scale. It is huge. They have two or three parades a day. Different crews have different parades, and that goes on for two weeks. Each of those parades are anywhere from 5 to 12 miles long. Wow. There's so many people at all these parades. A lot of times there's bicycle racks keeping people back, and a lot of times there's not. Some people may over-invive an adult beverage during these. <laughs> and so our job isn't so much to keep the horses going. Our job is to make sure nobody gets close to the horses. They don't throw stuff at the horses. They don't try to hug the horses. They don't try to jump on the horses. We've had people try to throw chairs underneath them. Why would they do that? Because they're drunk. <laughs> what do you do, though, Bert? We are basically our horse's secret service team. Yes. We make sure it doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm sure so. you've had to have a few crosswords with people, but do you maybe at those events, do you get security near you? Do you have the police? Eh, well, we don't have police, but every once in a while, say they're at New Orleans because it is such a big event. The local Budweiser distributor there furnishes extra people for us. Can't watch everybody at once. We could get a whole load of horse hour followers. They would line the streets for you, stopping people from getting anywhere near them. Do not worry. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I think it's absolutely incredible what you do. When when you're on the road and when you're doing competitions and things, is your job obviously to get them ready, but do you drive the hitches? I did used to until I had shoulder surgery. Mm. Then I didn't, I don't do that anymore. I drove for five or six years, but I don't drive anymore. I have jumped up there on occasion for a few days or a week when we were short of people, but I don't really do that anymore. Do you train the new people coming through? Or I bet no one wants to leave when they start working there. Yeah, we have a, we have very little turnover. You're right. When mm -hmm. somebody leaves us, it's because they because of the nature of our business, the type of people we get, we get more animal-related people. 
So they may want to go home and buy a farm, or they think they don't want to go home and get married and have kids. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about usually the only reason people leave us. Uh, so we've got people that you know that we've just got, and we've had we've got people there like me that's been there for a long time. And I do a lot of the people training because I've kind of been there, done that, and seen it. And I do enjoy working with the new people. Oh, gosh. I mean, you must have a waiting list of um, grooms that want to come and work for you and just well, be around in that environment and learn about the breeding, too. It's not just that. We get people who will – well, I used to have a horse that lived across the fence from me in my backyard, and I've always liked horses. Well, those aren't the kind of people that we can get. Uh, nowadays, and you didn't used to have to have a college degree – but there's so many people with college degrees. You have to have a lot of ex like experience to not have a college degree for us to hire you now because so many people do have. So the way our hiring process is, there's an internet site called bushjobs.com. You go on there and you apply. You have to be 21, walk in the door holding a Class A CDL. I don't know if you have CDLs over there. Commercial driver's license. Oh, right, yes. It, it's for driving the big trucks. You have to like people, like traveling, and hopefully know enough about horses coming in that you don't get yourself or us killed while we teach you what you need to know. <laughs> well, I could do all of that apart from drive the truck, which I could learn, and I don't have a college license. Well, um, if, but... if, you've got, if you've got like experience, you don't have to. Oh, we've got a whole heap of life experience in the UK, Burton. I, I can just see people emailing you now saying, pick me, pick me. It's so... In it one, it's inspirational. It's it's lovely to see horses are heritage being used, yes. you know, and, and being so well cared for and saying, you know, this is as humans, this is our heritage. This is what we've been using horses for hundreds of years. And I find it really sad that I mentioned earlier in the UK, Clydesdales are on the rare breeds list. Mm -hmm. So I think we need a couple of yours over here to start a breeding program. I'm going to get on the phone to Budweiser UK and say, come on, guys, you need to get your little backsides in gear because it's sad because they are they can be used for jobs. But not only that, they're gentle giants, aren't they? Right. Yeah, they are. What are they like as foals? Oh, they're just about what you think of as a baby giraffe with just shorter legs. When a regular foal <laughs> is born, they're about 70 pounds. When our babies are born, they're about 130. And wow. they are all legs. And so they grow very fast. An one of our average horses weighs 2,000 pounds. By the time a Clydesdale is one year old, it's already over half of its adult weight. So they're usually about 1,200 pounds out of yearling. And that's the size of a regular horse. And an adult regular horse is 12, anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200. Well, ours are 1,200 pounds out of yearling. Oh, my gosh. So if you don't mess with them when they're little, somebody's going to have a hard time when they're bigger because they, you got to teach them to, to lead and tie and work and play with them when they're little so that they don't take advantage of their size when they're bigger. Yeah. And and also you've got to watch out for those long legs. You know, you don't want to get overexcited. It would really hurt if it kicks you. It certainly does. <laughs> what kind of techniques do you use for your training? Well, basically when we, like I said, they start, I wouldn't use the word imprinting, but they play with them as babies at the breeding farm for just a little bit. They've got so many horses there, they can't spend too much time with each baby, but they do a little bit. And then they teach them lead and tie and just be touched when they're a yearling, then they go to Grant's farm. And that's where they actually humanize them. 
that's when they're teaching them to do everything they need to do later. But also, towards the end of being at Grant's Farm, that's when, do you know what a driving surcingle is? No, what's this? Okay, that's a band that goes around their belly, and it's got rings on the side. Then you put a bridle on them and a head check, and it all attaches to this surcingle around their belly. And then you put some short lines from the bit to the surcingle. And at first, you have it very loose. And then over days and weeks, you start tightening this up a little bit so the horse learns to collect. It actually brings his head down because naturally, most horses will go with their head up in the air and just flop around. So you put this driving rig on them, bidding rig, and that over time, you teach them to actually uh, get in the form that you want to see them in. When you're seeing our horses drove, they've got their heads up, but their heads are tucked and their noses are straight up and down. Mm. And that's, that's called a headset. So they're starting that headset at Grant's Farm. When they go out to our training center in New Hampshire, at that point, they're finishing up touches on that bidding rig. And then they line drive them. They'll use that same bidding rig, but they'll put long driving lines on them. And somebody will stand in a round pen and just drive them in a circle and get them used to stopping and going and turning. And then eventually they'll put them on a sled a single horse just to teach them just to teach them to pull a little bit of weight. Eventually they'll go on. I don't know if you've seen them over there. They originate over there. We have two or three different devices that we drive to that we hook the horses to as colts. But our main one we call is a Leon. And that's there from Sweden or Scotland or something like that. That's where they originated. But uh, mostly metal. And uh, they can take a, they're kind of low to the ground. So the horses can easily pull them. They have a rubber wheel on them, and but they have brakes on. They have hydraulic brakes, so you can actually use the brakes if you need to. But at the same time, these colts that are just learning to drive with a, an older horse, it's already been through this. So they drive them in pairs, and they'll drive them in pairs for a while, and then they put them in four. They'll put another two in front of them, or put them up in front of the four, and we just keep adding two more horses until we get up to our eight. And how long does this take from them being a yearling to when you'd say they're safe enough to go on parade with you? Well, they go to our training center when they're three and they keep them there from a year to year and a half. We usually do not start using them until the fall of their four-year-old year or the beginning of their five-year-old year. Clydesdales, as opposed to some other draft breeds, mature a little slower. Most draft breeds get their height when they're four and their bodies when they're five. Clydes don't. They get their height when they're five and their bodies when they're six to six and a half. Mm. So just like with a 16-year-old kid playing basketball and they, they just run their knees right down into their ankles because they're pounding too hard on them. They grow mm. further than they actually are able to. So we try not to start any of our horses out on the road until we know that the growth plates and their knees and their hocks and all that have closed up. Oh, that's good. So so even with the, I guess they're like side reins that you use in the early days. I like the fact that you said it's loose. Nothing's holding their heads in or restricting them. Well, right at first it is not. But as time goes on and we're trying to get their head down, not their head down, but trying to get that headset where they actually tuck their nose, then you start, and it's never tight, but you actually start tightening the straps on the sides to where the horse learns to what we're trying to get him to do is to keep their head in a certain position mm-hmm. by starting to snug up those straps on the side. They learn to give to that pressure. And as soon as they give to the pressure, there's no more pressure there. 
That's the reason you spend a couple weeks in that bidding rig teaching them to come off of the bit, which is that's hooked to, so they're not sitting there pushing on their mouth the whole time. That's part of the headset part of doing it is to get them to actually tuck their head on their own without fighting it. And this isn't, is this just about looking good or is this to stop them pulling with their mouth and pushing from their shoulders? All of that. It looks better when their head is straight up in the air and their nose is straight up. You can't drive them because they just sit there and twirl their head around. So, yeah, it, it, it is a little bit for looks because you want them all to look the same. Because mm-hmm. if your head's going in eight different directions, it wouldn't look good. But that's actually the least of it. You have to have a headset on them to be able to drive them properly. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't want them pulling from the bit with, as opposed to a rider riding them, where you can do everything from feel on the body and just barely touching the reins. With draft horses, you actually have to have not a big, heavy hold, but you have to have contact with your mouth all the time. Mm. And uh, the reins themselves, just holding them up on the wagon, weigh 40 pounds. When wow. you start pulling, there's between 75 and 100 pounds of pressure on our arms and shoulders as we're driving them. And if they have their heads up in the air and they're fighting that, then you aren't going to drive anything because you have no, really have no control over it. No wonder you needed shoulder surgery if that's what you're carrying every day. Exactly. The only comparison we have as us amateur riders and some professional riders would love the movie Black Beauty, the section where they're pulling the horse's head in and and making it so tight all the time just to make the horses look good. And I've often wondered if it was just about looking good or if it actually... Like when we're riding a horse, a horse pushes from behind. That's what we want to get from them. We want to get the the movement from behind. They can't push from behind so much when they're pulling from their shoulders. Right. So I was interested to know if it was if they pulled from the bit or they pull from their shoulders. We want them to pull from the shoulders. Mm. We just want to have contact with their mouth to guide them. We do not want their mouth pulling the wagon. Yeah. Eight two thousand pound horses pulling with their mouth. The driver's gonna have a hard time sitting on that driver's seat. Yeah, true. And and is a lot of it by voice? Some of it is, yes. We do some directional and we'll stop them with our hands and with our voice. And we get them started with our voice. And like I said, we do some directional for left and right that way also. We have certain words for that too. Because I'm just interested to know if they recognize your voice, you know, when they are out to pasture and, and you call them because you're working with them so closely. Well, like I said, there's seven of us that work with them that travel all the time. So it really wouldn't matter if you're a driver or a non-driver. We're still working with them about the same amount. But yes, they do listen to us. They don't do what I want them. Well, they're not working with you. We're working with them. They, they, know, they do know our voice. And so somebody else can sit there and call their name in the stall for an hour and the horse won't pick his head up. We walk up and it wouldn't matter what word we said. If we said a word in their direction, then they recognize our voice and they pick their head up. Yeah. And what's the oldest horse, the oldest Clydesdale that's been with Budweiser? Oh, well, we've had some that were 18 and 19 that they stayed home. They were not in the hitch anymore, but Mm -hmm. they actually paid their dues so well that instead of getting rid of them, they stayed at our home base just for display. Oh, how lovely. And who's your favorite? You must have one that you've connected with the most. Oh, in 37 years. Yeah. Over the years, I've had two or three that I really liked. I actually, uh, we just got rid of, well, we didn't get rid of them. We shipped from our East Coast Hitch to our West Coast Hitch a pair of horses that I both really liked. We called them the O Brothers just because both their names ended in O. But uh, 
uh, we got them as I well, we got them out on the road as four year olds, and they're ten or eleven now. They're they are pretty good horses. Oh my some, goodness! People, some of them you work with because you like them, and mm-hmm. others you work with because you have to. <laughs> horses have personality, just like people. And some of them, you, oh good, I get to work with him today. And others are. Oh, good. I get to work with him. Yeah, but each just shows, each each has its own little challenges and it can make the day extra entertaining, can't it? Yeah. I wouldn't like to be dealing with a two-year-old Kleiser, that's for sure. They're far too big for me. I mean, to imagine that horse rearing, imagine doing natural horsemanship in a round pen with a Clydesdale. We don't do natural horsemanship. <laughs> <laughs> There's more than one reason, but that's one of the reasons we don't. What are the other reasons you don't? Uh, a lot of the natural horsemanship doesn't want to shoe. They want to have shoes on them. Well, Clydesdales have white pigmented feet. You can't have them out on the pavement or out on concrete without shoes on, or they mm. wouldn't have feet left. Because white pigmentation is a lot softer and more brittle. Not brittle, but more brittle than a dark foot. So when you have Belgians and Pertrons, they have dark feet. They could go barefooted at times that a Clydesdale can't. Mm. And we're on the road 10 months of the year. So we have to take care of their feet. No, no, fair enough, fair enough. And do you guys do, do you do a lot with charity? Absolutely. I thought so. So is it the horse charities that, that you work with or is it any charity? Well, sometimes it's any charity. depends on a lot of times they may come to our company directly, but sometimes they come to the local Budweiser distributors. And when we're there working for that distributor that week, then we'll do interactions with them and for them. We'll take the horses to different places while the charities come to us. We do a lot of children's hospitals. We take one horse to the hospital, and they bring the kids down for petting and pictures. We do nursing homes. We do convalescent homes. We do a whole bunch of feel-good stuff. (laughs) Oh, it sounds amazing. And do you know what, Burton? You don't look a day over 45. (laughs) how do you not have like awfully dry skin and look exhausted you look incredible uh just i guess work agrees with me (laughs) (laughs) and i've got to ask you now 37 years of being a clydesdale handler are you a quarter horse man or a clydesdale man well officially i'm a clyde guy but i still have (laughs) horses here at my home in florida oh do you (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I literally, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Would there be any chance when you're next at work of possibly just making us a little video so we can show what it's like behind the scenes there? Sure. Oh, that would be amazing. We can see you when you're at your next show. When's the next one you're going to? Well, I, I'm i off right now with shoulder surgery, another shoulder surgery. <gasps> and so mm. I don't go back to work until neither may or june we can wait we don't mind we're so excited we're happy to wait and i wish you all the best in your recovery it's been an absolute pleasure and well we'll see you behind the scenes when you're all better and give your horses a a big cuddle and a carrot from us it's been a pleasure burton thank you so much thank you Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to stay in touch with the Clydesdales and see what Burton and the team are up to, then you can follow them on Facebook. Just search Budweiser Clydesdales. And you can also follow on Twitter by heading to at Budweiser USA. And of course, we do have a Budweiser in the UK as well. They're at Budweiser UK. 
It is sad that in the UK, the Budweiser's are on our rare breeds list, along with the Suffolk Punches. There's only 500 left in the UK of the Suffolk Punches, so they really do need our help. Otherwise, we're going to lose them completely. And like Budweiser, they're sticking to their heritage of using horses for over 100 years, and we need to be protecting our rare breeds. So for more information on the rare breeds, head to our website, horsehour.co.uk. You can see the videos from the National Equine Forum, where Nigel Oakley from the Rare Breed Survival Trust talks in detail about the Suffolk Punches and what we can do to help. And also there's a Horse Hour podcast episode and he's a really fascinating guy. He's been in the industry for a very, very long time. He's a farmer, a breeder. He owns Suffolk Punches and he's an absolute advocate for them. And if you don't fall in love with these horses after hearing Nigel talk, then you have no heart because they are just incredible animals, just like the Clydesdales. So we really need your support, anything that you can do to help keep our history alive. Thank you for listening to the Horse Hour podcast. You can get more episodes on our website and on iTunes and on Acast too. I hope you enjoy Horse Hour on Twitter this evening. It's our networking hour between 8pm and 9pm UK time every Monday night where equestrians from all over the world get together, share stories, pictures, videos, ask advice and give advice as well. It's a great community and I hope that you'll join us. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We're at Horse Hour and don't forget to use hashtag Horse Hour in all your posts as well. I hope you have a really good week with your horse and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter Mondays 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag Horse Hour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.